It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to negotiate and navigate the world of work and try to make it a little better place. Uh, Dr. Destiny, I believe you will be leading us today. That's true. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're going to talk about surveys, and I was just saying before we came on that We love them and we hate them in this field. So I'm excited to talk about this today and see what people's experiences are and where some of those, you know, challenge points are that that maybe they can share with how they've got through those and how they convince people of things. So I'm just excited about talking about this. Well, you know, and and first of all, you've got to actually convince people to participate in a survey. (laughs) And and then, you know, you get numbers, you get results and how you interpret those. You know, I've often said as as a professional speaker, I can train you to take a set of numbers and to both prove and disprove the same thing at the same time. So where do we start? I mean, I mean, lots of times, you know, working with organizations, surveys have come across my desk and usually they're not even like backed up with why are we doing this and what are we trying to prove? And is this just some way for the man to get me? (laughs) So a little suspicion too, when, when those come across. So, you know, how do we even get people on board? Yeah, that's fair. And I think that's probably something we've all experienced, you know, we're wondering why, and that is part of the big picture here, especially as we're talking about how IO can come in and help and, you know, make these processes better for you. But really, there there does have to be a strategic communication plan that aligns with surveys in order for them to be in some way effective. And a lot of times the questions aren't really, you know, uh, designed to measure what the intent is to measure. And so there's all of these things that really come into play. I'll share a little bit of research that seems like it's no brainer, but I think it's important to showcase that, yes, the research does show that surveys are effective. According to SHRM, Society for Human Resource Management, 90% of organizations use employee surveys as a tool for collecting feedback and improving organizational effectiveness. And just like you said, Tom, like if there are 90% are using that and they're not telling you why or what's going to happen or sometimes you feel like you're inserting information into, you know, a black abyss or hole of who knows where it's going and what's going to happen with it. And so, and then you're, you mentioned survey fatigue, which is actually, you know, uh, kind of a thing that happens, right? Especially I work with a lot of government employees and government contracts and clients, and they're always being tasked 
the, you know, because the government has very stringent, like left and right limits about how you ask and who you ask and why you ask. You have to go through all these processes and they tend to over ask the same people. And so then you're thinking about, okay, well, not only are they experiencing potentially survey fatigue, now you've got levels and layers of bias that might come into play as well, uh, especially if they have to go up and down a chain and people have to kind of uh, water down or change something that's said by someone. So there's all of these factors. And so I'm excited to talk about this today. There are also very um, specific measures that can really help isolate and talk about different underlying factors that influence employee attitudes and behaviors from surveys. So they can be really useful and helpful in trying to get down to the core of a problem or find out what's going on in an organization. So, so, so where's a good place to start? I mean, do you just, I mean, with usually it, it starts with an email for me where, you know, <laughs> we want you to do this survey. Um, and it's like, <laughs> it's your job do the survey there's no like you know carrot and, yeah. and quite often you know if you've gone through this enough you know all of these surveys eventually quite often lead to nothing you know nothing actually changes so do yeah. we need to change like the, the the understanding for the people taking the survey absolutely we... yes yeah i think what's important what we mentioned earlier is that there's got to be some sort of strategic communication plan about this, right? And so the first thing is establishing those clear objectives. I know that sounds once again, like, oh, no brainer destiny, no brainer, Tom, but it's very true. You have to establish those and understand, you know, clearly define the objectives of the survey and highlight how the alignment with organizational strategy and objectives is crucial for, you know, getting what you want out of that survey. So yes, they're being used. They should be clearly identified. They should be understood about what's the intent, what's going to happen. And then on top of all of that, the like most important thing about a survey, in my opinion, is that something happens quickly with results, right? So people are just, if you're not doing anything with it and it's not fast, then people are usually frustrated or they forget why in the first place or, you know, why, what the intent was. So it's really important to ensure that you're getting things done quickly, or you're at least following up with a communication strategy post-survey. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot of times, you know, nothing happens and you need the follow-up as well. You've got to, you know, be checking six months, a year down the line to see if things have actually changed. Uh, and if you've got a great story, it's great to see we've got lots of people in the virtual studio today. If you'd like to join the conversation, just raise your hand and we'll get to you. Uh, Linda Ann, I'd love to come to you next. Uh, because I'm wondering with your, you know, background in HR, uh, have, you know, what was, has been your experience with surveys that, you know, first of all, did you use them a lot? Did you find they were effective and, and what was the process like getting people to fill them out? So Linda, Ann, I want to go to you on that one. Oh, there you are. So, um, I have a fair bit of experience with this and it was a couple of different situations. One, in the role of HR, it depends on the size of the organization. The two things that were most important for me getting things done and, and participation was making sure that the organization or your sampling is large enough so that the, any answers are not identifiable. You know, that it must be in a situation where people feel that it's anonymous and safe. Because if your sample is too small, then the people reading the results can go, oh, I'm pretty sure that's from so-and-so. And that's not okay, right? You, that's 
people aren't going to feel safe in that. When leadership wanted to do the survey, one of the first things that I said to them was, okay, you get such and such answer. What are you going to do about it? Because if you're not going to, if you don't have the intent to take action on the results, whether you like the answers or not, then there's no point in doing the survey because you're, if people are just going to say, well, the next time you survey, eh, it's not worth it because nothing happens, right? I was in an organization that was uh, over 2000 employees and they were very purposeful in the way that they did their surveys and they would only do them once every two years because they knew it was that long to do a complete implementation of the results. So that was a very thoughtful process, right? In that example also though, by the time the second occurrence of the survey had happened, we hadn't seen some of the results that we were looking for as employees. And so we took the time to identify how do we get, how is it analyzed? So sometimes I would think that, you know, communicating how the data is analyzed um, so people understand how we're going to use it and how to effectively communicate the information that they want to communicate through that survey is is really important. So those are the first couple of things. Um, The other thing, too, is really making sure that your questions are worded in a way that can be validated. And, and that's really key because so often people will say, well, you know, do you do you have a positive feeling about X and Y? And you can't really do that because you don't know if they're answering, is it X or is it Y? And so um, having the, the questions worded properly are, are is super critical. Well, is there a communication structure that should be followed when you're doing surveys? I mean, you know, I've done surveys where I've been left in the dark about why we're even doing the survey. And then I've done other surveys where they're very upfront about why we're doing this. So it, it just, do you need to have a communication strategy around surveys? Oh, I think that's absolutely key. I mean, why would you want to, you have to understand why you're even being giving this in the first place and what the whole, pro, what the objective is, you know, what the whole process is going to be that makes it worth someone's time, you know, because there's a whole trend for people doing what they call pulse surveys, where it's just one question periodically and and so forth. But then there's, you know, other ones that are that are far more intensive and you have to make it worth their time to to complete accurately. Speaking of which, have you ever given um, given out carrots for people to do surveys, you know, do the survey and we'll buy you a cup of coffee or anything like that? No, no, it's just <laughs> been, you know. We want your feedback because we want to make whatever it is better, right? So that's, you have an opportunity to be part of improving the situation, whatever it may be. All right, but I still want a coffee next time I do a survey. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Good morning. Yes, I definitely agree with what's been said. I have also never given an incentive in an organizational setting. Research in a university setting often does have more incentives for participation, but in the workplace, like Linda Ann was saying, it's more about creating engagement and helping them to see how the survey results and insights are going to bring about a better workplace. However, so my last job, although I switched to a new um, position recently. My last job was all around culture assessment. So we'd go into an organization Mm -hmm. and help them do an organization-wide assessment, looking at many different culture elements like trust, leadership modeling, 
corporate ethics, things like that. And I do think that one of the biggest challenges is not necessarily the survey itself, but that communication back to the employees and then communication about what action items are going to be taken. And I'd be curious to hear from the group, but some common challenges that I see our leaders are are hesitant to share the results with their employees. And so I think this goes back to the concept of trust. Not only do we need to trust our employees, but we need to display that as leaders that we trust them as well. So it was challenging at one of the organizations I was working with to even get them to share any results. They didn't want to have any results available on the internal web because they were worried about them posting it elsewhere, even though most of us know we have NDAs with company material. So it was pretty surprising. It was just a really a lack of trust in the employees and that they wouldn't go promote culture assessment results externally. But I was a little surprised by that because I thought it demonstrated a lack of trust on the employee side. So that's just one um, comment to throw out to the group. Yeah, I think that trust issue runs through a number of items when it comes to uh, the relationship between employees and leadership. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. One of the things that we need to remember is that surveys are, after all, data collection uh, tools. So we have to ask ourselves or an organization needs to ask itself, why are you collecting this data? Now, as a trained researcher, my answer to data collection is you have to have a professional. You have to have someone who does this for a living. You have to have a PhD involved, people who are well-versed in this. But today you can get a survey off the internet and run with it. And really, it's blind leading the blind. You have no idea what you're doing. You're forcing your employees to answer these questions. And then you really have no idea what you're looking at when it comes to the results. And so I caution people not to get caught up in the romance of surveys, because I think, you know, there are people out there whose jobs is to sell surveys and they will do a good job if they're good salespeople. And organizations will get caught up in it, but they don't understand why they're doing it or what the end goal is. So as with any data, it could be absolute gold if you know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how to understand the end results. So we talk about surveys, but let's not forget that there's a lot of frivolous survey taking out there. I mean, you can't go on social media without every Tom, Dick, and Harry taking a survey. Should I wear this shirt or that shirt, right? That technically is a survey of sorts. I hope they don't do anything organization-wide with that data. But for real organizational surveys, we, we really have to take this seriously. I think just because they have become more available because of the technology and connectivity and Google and things like that that we have doesn't mean that they should be taken in a frivolous manner. So that's my comment on that. Yeah, it's like the old computer adage, garbage in, garbage out. You need an IO psychologist, uh, and there's lots of them out there. So make sure you contact one or contact us at CBOC. We'd be more than happy to set you up uh, with someone who deal specifically with surveys. Uh, Dr. Martha, while we have you here, I want to ask you about the view from the C-suite. How does leadership see surveys? I mean, we've heard from Dr. Ariana that, you know, they're quite often not sharing the results. Do they even want to do surveys? Are they looking for something specific or is it just checking a box? 
It really depends on so many things. It can depend on a culture. It can depend on the individuals within the C-suite. Some people don't want to know. They've been doing something for a long time and, and, and these specific ways. They don't want to change. They don't want to stir the pot. They don't want to figure out that there are any issues. They just want to retire. They don't want any trouble. <laughs> just get to retirement and somebody else can deal with it. Other people, there's a lack of communication within the organization and it will go way beyond survey results. The most basic things will not be communicated within the organization. People will find out as a surprise. Maybe sometimes customers let them know. It's It really can be that bad where you find out from an external source of what's going on within your own organization. So there are so many things that come into play. Certainly trust. If if the C-suite has a good understanding of why this survey is being administered and what is the end goal, what are we looking for in terms of the data to tell us, there may be things that don't need to be shared with every single employee because it's irrelevant to the uh, day-to-day time at the office for for every individual. But for those things that will make a difference, don't hold the, the cards so close to you. It's once you start making things secret or only available for the special chosen few, that's when things start to get you in trouble. That's where mistrust comes into place. And how do you know next time if people would even answer the next survey in a serious or honest manner? If you wasted their time and energy on on taking a survey and they never heard anything about it, why would they bother? Whether you didn't do anything else with it or whether you don't trust your employees to share that knowledge, why would anybody involve themselves in a serious manner the next time. So there are so many things, and it could take one person within a a C-suite to kind of ruin it for everybody else. Mm -hmm. So many things to consider. So as an IO or anybody who is engaged with an organization, that's just one more thing that the professional needs to know what will be done with this data. And that will give them an ability to advise further if necessary. Yeah, that's great insight. And once again, that, that's why you don't want to waste your time, money, efforts, uh, just by winging it. You really want to consult with an IO psychologist and, and really bring the experts in because the benefits of this information can really uh, change the, the culture and the profitability of your organization. Uh, Rich, let's go to you. Uh, so something that Linda Ann said earlier that, that, stuck in my mind, um, you know, that the survey needs to be valid, right? So it needs to have validity within, you know, the construct that you're trying to measure, right? And so I, I agree with what Dr. G was saying there uh, that, you know, you need a professional to be able to help either choose or design whatever instrument it is that you're going to be using. We have some fairly valid and reliable instruments available, you know, through the uh, mental measurements uh yearbook you know so there's one place that we can go to immediately to take a look at and there are also some other like off the shelf you know uh robustly validated instruments that can be used as well and that of course you should be 
working with somebody who has experience with that and, and the knowledge of that. And that helps to build, I think, some of the trust among the people that are, you know, taking those surveys too, is that this, you know, I, I trust where this is coming from. I've heard of this, or at least there's some, there's some research or evidence behind it that says that this instrument works. And then just something else that, that, popped into my head was that from a from an ethical standpoint we you know we do talk about informed consent and although you know that that is oftentimes implied within organizational settings um you know there is a debrief part of of the research that often goes under you know underutilized and and, and overlooked um that you know could you know, foster, you know, it's not like you have to give all the information out to everybody, but some summary of it that people will be using for decision making, um, you know, goes a long way to developing trust. So validity, reliability, and then that, uh, that transparency, I think, um, can go a long way. You know, this is the first time I've ever actually had anyone mention a debrief on surveys. I mean, look, gray hair, I've worked with a lot of organizations. I've done a ton of surveys. I don't think I've ever done a debrief. I mean, what does that even look like? Well, I mean, so uh, I can put a link to this, but like uh, Gallup, right, for whatever, (laughs) whatever feelings anybody has on a Gallup poll, right? But they just released an employment and employee engagement report, right, at uh, that was on Tuesday. I, I learned that from the Washington Post. Uh, uh, no, no, where was it? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, Wall Street Journal. Sorry, it was Washington uh, Wall Street Journal. And um, but those reports, right? It's there's there's a report of what was included in that survey. You know that was given to everybody. So there's kind of the debrief that can be shared. Um, to some extent, and you know, certain places like even like Qualtrics, right, has uh, they 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 can have a uh, report with various permissions and all that stuff that can be that can be delivered. Um, I did a a training evaluation with that, and it even gives you the the stats, you know, on on uh, all the measurements, you know. So some of that stuff it, you can be very transparent with, you know, and uh, and it still protects everybody's individual responses but helps people to see oh yeah we did you know we're, we're we participated in something that could help move the dial you know in whatever direction well i like that a lot uh dr oriana let's go back to you i really like that as well and i think that it often does not happen but i think it's definitely in the cards for that to happen more often i i think it would be ideal to do kind of a pre and post debrief where on the front end you say we're going to be measuring 12 different facets of culture in this in this assessment. We're going to be looking at trust and rewards and recognition and leadership modeling. And so people have a really clear idea of what the ask is from them and why you're asking. And then the back end, hopefully the debrief could also include that data. Like we wanted to look at trust in our organization and this is how we saw it score. Um And then one other thing I wanted to add to the conversation is really related to the fact that assessments are supposed to be insights that inform action. And this has already been touched on a bit, but too often organizations let themselves stop at the assessment phase. The executives are excited to see what is going on in their culture. How is it differing by department and geography? But too often they don't even plan or allocate a budget for implementation as a part of it, which I think should be considered. There 
okay, well, we're going to spend $20,000 or however much it is on the assessment itself and people to help us with data analysis. But then I have been sad to see that I come back to an organization two years later and the assessment results have not been acted upon. They're excited to do it again because they liked getting the results on the front end. But I think that allocating funds equally for the implementation portion and having the knowledge in advance of taking the survey that you as an executive are going to have to consider the data and then make an action plan and communicate that to your employees and follow up. That is half of the assessment process. Do you think a lot of organizations, especially those who don't use an IO, are excited about doing surveys, but it's a little bit of you don't know what you don't know. So they don't really grasp the entire concept of what a survey can do. But once again, they're not considering elements such as, you know, how you're actually going to implement things. They they just want the survey. They just want the numbers. I think so. I think that's happening. I think if you're not from the IO sphere, you might not understand, you know, what that's going to entail. Or to be honest, if you're not industrial organizational psychology and you find that you're low on trust and rewards and recognition, you may not know where to begin, but that's still okay as long as you're willing to invest in investigating someone who does know how to support. Otherwise, honestly, I hate to say it, but it's better sometimes not to do the assessment at all if there will be zero follow through. Like that is actually what leads to disengagement. Just like you're, you, I get this annual engagement survey that you do nothing with. Like that's more like disengaging than anything. You're just ruffling feathers at that point. Uh, yeah, exactly. Amani, welcome back. Let's go to you. Hi, thank you. I think I'm just going to be speaking as an employee here, not as a professional or anything, but I'm still going to say the same old thing that I usually say. I'm going to be lying on these surveys. I'll be lying on all the surveys that these organizations run around. First of all, designing the surveys, yes, by professionals is very much so needed. But if we're not having outsiders coming into organizations, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be truthful on that whole survey. You cannot tell me my manager, my supervisor is gonna uh, send me a survey or even a self-reporting um, survey, and then you have them evaluate me as well. Then I have to debrief with them, and you think I'm going to be a hundred percent with you if this survey is not anonymous. I feel like if the same people you're trying to tap into culture, what's going on with an organization, um, and if you're not having a good culture, you know, uh, a good culture within an organization, and you're having the same people getting into this whole, getting into this whole survey and analyzing the data that is being collected, you're losing out on whatever, whatever you know, objective objectives are for the surveys, because. Employees, me, I've, I've, I've faced a scenario whereby I had to be a hundred percent on it, and I got fired for it. So from then, I know I'm not, I'm not about to mess around. I recently got a survey, self-reporting, and I went all the way. I was being neutral on it, and they're asking me, "What's wrong? Why are you just being neutral on this whole thing?" I'm like, "Am I about to tell you the answer? Because you're still my supervisor, and if I have a problem with you." How am I going to say that on the on the survey? How am I going to state it on the survey? I, I still want my job. That's the whole thing. So it's about just me having my job working. I'm not, I don't want to be anybody's friends here. And I go home. So you're still not going to get authentic, you know, uh, data. And I feel like if organizations are just what they just want the real data here, they just want their information, they should just hire um, IO psychologists 
to just come in anonymous to do anonymous surveys that's when they'll get to the root cause of whatever they want. Because you cannot tell me you're putting a name behind these surveys and these employees will be 100% with, with giving out their, authentically giving out their information to the organization. So my point here is, let's have IO psychologists come in, outsource these surveys and just how professions um, design these surveys and the people who actually know what they're doing and who know how to navigate the whole the whole process. Uh, thank you very much for that, Amani. And, and Linda, and let's let's go back to you because Amani raises some really good questions. And you know, I have been that employee who has done a self assessment and then sat down with a manager, and they're like, "All right, you put this for this. Why did you do that?" Uh, you know, and it becomes almost an inquisition, um, and doesn't make me want to f- feel like I want to do more surveys. So, how how do we navigate that? Yeah, I. One of the reasons I, I raise my hand is is because I think that some surveys and and I think that there's a problem with surveys that are not anonymous in most cases um, because as Amani was alluding to and what she just said was is that people will temper their information and how they respond and so it's really not worth the time and effort if people can't feel safe and and the opportunity to be honest but. One of the things I think is is important to consider is that when, and especially depending on the scope, you know, and the size of the survey that you're conducting, is to make sure that you've collected some demographic information or some variable information. In other words, for example, if you ask a question about, I don't know, say a management skill or or how you're being managed or whatever, but you have not been asked who your manager is or what department you're in, then being able to use that information is is almost worthless, right? Because you don't know is that is that problem that people are or characteristic that that those people are providing information on is that organization wide or is that isolated in one department? And so there's two things. One, when somebody looks at the information. They need to, and the survey, as far as the analysis of it, they need to be able to assess whether or not there's holes in how that information is being analyzed. And um, really, ideally, it would have been identified in, in the beginning, but you have to be very careful about the analysis of it because just putting it up, like, for example, SurveyMonkey does a great job. After you've done your survey, they'll drop that into uh, slides for you, do the compilation, all those kinds of things. Presenting that as raw data can be really flawed. So you need to be careful about having the correct um, demographics so that you can isolate any issues that that may exist. And, and what do you think about the honesty factor? I mean, I, I know people who, even with an anonymous survey, they're like, they're, you know, this is an anonymous, they'll figure out who I am. So is there honesty on these surveys? That's a you know that's a loaded question, Tom. <laughs> um, I think that's problematic in some situations because, say, for example, if you're conducting you know a satisfaction survey in a toxic culture, that's going to be you've got a little ways to go on that, right? Yeah, you sure do. <laughs> you're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O. And 
If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Dr. Matthew, welcome to Work Cookie. Unmute your mic and share some thoughts with us. Um, yeah, so in response to what Imani and Ariana and Linda Ann were just talking about with a hesitation or not trusting the anonymous aspect of surveys, that's very true and that's very real. There's a number of people that I've talked to that that's their experience. They say exactly what what um, Linda Ann was just saying. I don't trust this process and I'm not going to answer honestly. As a uh, as an IO, as a researcher, that behavior in itself is actually data to collect. So before we can look at you know uh, the answers to this survey or to that survey, it, we're gathering insight with that lack of response or that lack of engagement uh, demonstrated by the employees that that's insight that people may not even trust the organization process or the system, the survey process. So there, that's there's deeper issues that maybe uh, needed to be addressed first, uh, whether that's trust or engagement, disengagement. But if our survey is designed to collect on this one piece, but people aren't even willing to participate or at least participate honestly, as as IOs, as researchers, that behavior is already data that that we are gathering that we can then say, hey, look, we can't even get to steps B and C because we have a bigger issue here at step A. How, how often do you do you believe an IO goes into a situation where an organization is interested in surveys, but the first thing that you noticed is the culture and that that has to be taken care of first before you can conduct surveys? Has that been your experience? I'm fairly new to the consulting uh, aspect and going into additional organizations, but based off of past experiences um, and past organizations, some, some even within the organization, you have different teams that may be more inclined to answer honestly, whereas another team is either going to not answer at all, or they're going to answer C for everything to just to get it out of the way because it was a mandate, not an optional buy-in. So again, a number of factors that um, the behaviors that are demonstrated by the employees that are participating, there's a number of factors that that the data that can actually be considered data to take a step back and say, well, what is going on to get the answers that we're getting? Because if we're getting a bunch of answers, but we don't know what they mean, you know, let's take a deeper look as to why we're getting uh, what's what's being demonstrated. Thank you very much for that. Dr. Martha, let's go back to you. We've had some excellent points being brought up that highlight just how important it is to have an organization work with a professional, someone who truly understands what they're looking for, what to look out for, because there are so many potential pitfalls in um, giving someone raw data, giving raw data to an organization is a little bit like 
handing them the ingredients for bread and saying, here's your bread. Well, it's not bread. It's just some flour and water and salt and whatever. So when you think about what are we going to do as an organization with this data, forget that it's the shiny new object and it's uh, something to check off on a list. Like Linda Ann brought up, if you have an issue, but you can't identify where within the company that issue is, or if it's company-wide, what good is that data at that point? If you have, let's say, a medium to large organization in terms of employees, but the organization has many locations, and those locations are pretty small, even anonymous surveys, if you know the people, you know who answered what. There's no anonymity there. So how honestly will those questions be answered, right? If you are being told to do a self-assessment that somebody else will go over with you, if you don't trust that person or if you don't trust the organization and you need a paycheck, you're going to do whatever you think you need to do to stay you know, off the radar and, and keep things status quo. This is such an excellent demonstration why surveys are not just these fly-by-night, just everybody should do one. They're serious stuff. They're serious data collection. And you can't have just anybody off the street doing them or, or having organizations slapping some questions together and saying, we're going to do our own survey. Because you have no idea what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're going to do with that raw data, what any of it means. And not only is it potentially wasting your time, effort, and money, but it could create further issues as you go. So this is so important that we're all touching upon these potential issues so that organizations understand why they need a professional. This isn't, this isn't a game. This is data collection. And like Rich brought up, debriefing afterwards, I've never heard of any organization even considering that because they have no experience in bona fide genuine research the way researchers do, PhDs do, right? People who do research for a living, they know what's what. But an organization would never think of that. And if some person off the street walks in, knocks on their door, presents them the shiny new survey and promises them the world, they have no idea what they're missing and, and what the potential is, even negative potential, right, of what the end results will be of this entire endeavor. So please don't just do frivolous surveys, get engaged with people who know what they're doing, because only then do you have the uh, possibility of getting something good out of it in the end. Yeah, I think we should. We need to make that a clip and send that out to everyone. Uh, Amani and, and Linda Ann, I see your hands up. But Dr. Destiny, I want to come back to you for a second because I'm starting to get the sense that we should call this episode Fear Factor uh, because everybody is doing surveys. You know, they're rampant, and, you know, especially with organizations. But, you know, as I sit here, I'm not sure I know any organizations that have an IO psychologist um, who is navigating this process. So aren't, aren't organizations who don't contract an IO psychologist or have one on staff, aren't they just setting themselves up for a lot of trouble? 
beyond the trouble that they obviously are setting themselves up for, I think it's honestly just nice to have a third party come in and and do the talking for you sometimes, right? And do the looking for you and having that, you know, additional layer of expertise come in and really we so many people have said so many good things such as you know making sure that we're measuring the right thing making sure we're talking about the right thing making sure that we're you know if we're it's supposed to be anonymous then is it really and if it's not then you know how do we create that trust and in even in the chat going on there's been a lot of discussion about that trust factor um one of the participants here mentioned that one of the organizations they work with, they're the the people in that uh, company are are terrified. They said to take a survey because you know of whatever the reason is, and that's that's an issue in itself. If people are afraid of something or they have a fear that something might there might be repercussions, then you definitely need that third party to come in. Um, you know, I come from the military background, and we. We do things in a very different way with surveys. Um, we do sensing sessions uh, with command climate and things like that, where, yeah, things come out during those sensing sessions because people, sometimes people feel safe and sometimes they don't. But but that is usually where some of those bigger issues come up in. And so, and and, and commanders, because of that, because of the tradition of that, have fear when those things happen too. So like the leaders are fearful because they know like, oh, there's a sensing session coming up soon. We have a command climate survey coming up and it's always this fear and, you know, worry about what's going to happen. So having those third parties come in is really important to kind of settle and make everyone feel comfortable and safe as possible. This whole uh, concept of psychological safety in the workplace, so crucial in this topic, as silly as it sounds the surveys, there's so much truth in that. So it's important to just bring somebody else in who can do all that hard, icky work for you. And then you get to kind of ride the waves of, you know, the kinds of uh, implementations and things that they might suggest from that. And a little bit of advice to all IO psychologists who will find themselves in front of a group making a presentation and talking to people, make sure you get yourself some presentation skills. Um, I have recently sat through a number of workshops with people who were not presenters, uh, and a two-hour workshop, we're 15 minutes into it, uh, the speaker has lost the audience, are just painful. Um, <laughs> in the longest two hours of your life. Uh, Imani, let's go back to you. Yes. So when I heard Dr. Martha saying anyone off the streets, I think I just wanted to be brutal by, say, brutal by saying the promoted leader, leaders sometimes who you know are not qualifying to even be in those kind of like posts. They're more of, they're more productive, but they don't know how to be the real leaders within organizations. They have them issue all these surveys. I kid you not, guys. I faced this. They sent me a survey and they told me I have to put my full names there. And I had to do a debrief later with one of um one of the who was on my, you know, who was just a normal employee who was promoted. And they had I had to do a debrief with them. At this point, they're asking me, oh, what's wrong? Why don't you want to really uh go or oh, truthfully answer their survey? And I'm like, do you even know that I have master's in psychology? Do you really want to, you want my feedback? I, I think you should have kind of like, you know, gone one-on-one even with employees and at least debrief them about this whole thing. So getting back to the point that 
Dr. Matthew say that addressing the underlying cause, I think we should, our organization should work well with, with uh, proximity. It's very hard to hate from near when you're on one-on-one with somebody. These things that they all want to survey about could be picked up in one-on-ones and then also group sessions. There's a, a little bit of sense of, you know, um, safety when we are in the group. You know, okay, I think I know two or more, three people feel the same way. I'm going to raise two and I'm going to raise such and such an issue. And then we can now have um, the the surveys Linda was talking about when you're in a group sessions on Zoom, you can have the, the survey that they can drop in. And there you go, because you've just had a group session. You've all, you know, you've all had this whole cozy kind of like one-on-one or group sessions and then you drop in a survey in that moment there is at least a certain level of truth that will be you know displayed out on the survey so i think these are some of the ways organizations maybe if they're trying to dodge paying the real professionals i feel like they should be kind of like leaning in with proximity in their way of of uh, issuing up these surveys if they really want to at least next or close to authenticity in these surveys yeah, it's, it's a little bit like giving a shotgun to a two-year-old, which I wouldn't do. And I'm starting to think I'm not going to give a survey to a manager either. Uh, or sorry, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, I wanted to, um, Amani gave me a perfect segue when she talked about the money people may want to save by not having some professional come in and do the setup for their survey or, or the conducting of their survey initially. And the thing that I wanted to bring up was, for companies, since they speak the language of money, think about you get you decide, OK, we're going to put together this 10 question survey and we're going to run it through, you know, Survey Monkey, and we're going to get our data and it's all raw data. And you look at that and go, OK, here's our initiative. Right. And we're going to spend money and we, we go down this path and we're going to do this in initiative and it completely flops. Right. It gets nowhere. And it's because you didn't have the right questions to ask the right information, right? And get the results. So you spent all this money doing something wrong, right? And so I really wanted to emphasize how much that's going to cost you, not only in that initiative, but in the fact that people said, well, we did that. It didn't work. I'm not going to even spend my time with that next survey. And all the damage that doing a survey wrong can cause, I think is really important for companies to think about before they even try to do that first survey. Let me ask you this, Linda, because a lot of organizations have training budgets, you know, which they have to spend, but it doesn't seem like now I want an IO psychologist actually telling me where to spend that money, because I think it's true where, you know, I've got this money to spend and I'm going to do some surveys, but we don't think of the follow-up after the survey when we're looking at that budget. So is is that money for training being spent wisely right now? I have a strong opinion about that. And <laughs> <laughs> I think in often it's not being spent well because there's no continuity in a lot of the training that's that's done. There's no consistency and continuity. It's the whole one and done thing is is not, you know, effective in creating change and seeing changes in behavior and getting the results you're looking for. There's a lot of shiny objects out there when it comes to training these days. Um, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I wanted to go back to a couple of things that you said, Tom, at the beginning, you had mentioned 
that data or interpretation of data can be subject to, let's say, an agenda sometimes, or, well, whatever else we want to call it. And then the other idea that everybody seems to be doing surveys, it made me think of surveys being used for marketing purposes. Think about every commercial out there that you've heard or watched that three out of four doctors want you to use this drug. Three out of four dentists want you to use this product. Do you really think that there was a study of four doctors and three of them said this and the one lost soul didn't? Of course not, but they're presenting it as though this was research data Therefore, if you have any brains, consumer, you should say, do what we say. So it's so important to remember, what is the purpose of this survey? Everybody's doing surveys. It seems like it's the thing to do, because if we're doing surveys as an organization, that means we're listening to our people. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. You don't even know if you have true answers. You're just doing surveys. That's why it's so important, so important to consider all those things. I just can't say enough about that. Well, let me ask you, could we take this out of you know the corporate world? And I'm thinking of all the municipalities who may be doing surveys of you know the residents and citizens of their community. Don't I really want to bring in an IO psychologist, you know, to start to even put those surveys together and and start from the early communication process, right? You know, once again to the debrief. Isn't that another great area for an IO psychologist to be working in? Absolutely, because we've already talked about all, all the potential mistakes that can be made along the way if you're using the wrong people, the wrong questions, the wrong surveys, the wrong methods, the wrong interpretation. There's so many potential issues that why not start off on the right foot and carry it all the way through to the end. And something else you mentioned, aren't a lot of organizations implementing surveys to prove a point, not not to actually do research, but to actually prove their thinking right. And this is no different than the marketers telling you that four out of five doctors want you to use this drug forever. So (laughs) you have to be aware of the agenda and which makes it that much more difficult sometimes for employees to trust, right? We keep going back to this trust issue, but it's real. If you don't feel safe being honest, if you don't think that there may be some kind of something as a result of your answer, if, if, if you don't feel like anything will improve, then what are we doing with these surveys? Why is everybody taking surveys? Let's do a survey on that. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, four out of five IO psychologists believe we should go back to Dr. Destiny right now. Uh, and I'm interested in hearing um, what's been going on in the chat because it looks like it's been quite active today. Well, first, I want to know who that one out of five <laughs> that did not want to come back to me is um, so that I can deal with them appropriately. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> yes, the chat's been actually really great. And in fact, Once again, we talked about uh, maybe some strategies for how to get participation in surveys. We shared the resource that uh, Rich mentioned, and that will also be shared on the podcast 
a reference list as well. Uh, we talked about the fear and the trust and lack of um, being anonymous and, you know, the psychological safety and the breach of those psychological contracts. There's been a lot in the chat and it all, it's, it's funny because, you know, surveys are important and, you know, we started off on this like high note, we're like, yeah, 90% of, you know, organizations use this. And the whole time it has been a little fear factory, hasn't it? It's been more like, well, I'm, you know, scared and I don't want to. And like, these are the repercussions that I've had to deal with. And so I feel like, you know, to be honest, it's really important just to like, you know, drive to home. Like, like you've said many times, Tom, bring somebody in from the outside and do this quote unquote, dirty, scary work for you. And that way it's just better to get whatever you're looking for. And so it's not super biased. You know, one of the things we didn't talk about was the simple thing, you know, in the military, we call it kiss, keep it simple, stupid. It's really about taking, you know, and using very basic jargon and language, for example, sometimes people want to throw in all these, you know, words and things that's like, well, I don't even know what that means. And I had, I recently, I work with an organization and recently they did a survey and they were leaving the the answers open-ended. And I was like, oh, I was terrified. I was like, don't do that. I said, when you do that, you're opening a can of worms. And guess what happens? A can of worms. Um, And also because not a lot of people really understood the, the question itself. So there was all kinds of random things. And for somebody who's trying to analyze data like that, it was just it was interesting and it was entertaining, but it was hard from a scientific perspective to try to give them actual feedback because what they were complaining about, because that's what most people will do in a survey, was nothing about the topic at hand. So we had to go down all these little rabbit holes and he wanted to explore. And so those are the kinds of things that will happen if you are not careful about the way that you approach and approach with caution. <laughs> so if you're with us today, or if you're listening to the work cookie podcast, what you want to do is send this episode to the person in your organization who is conducting these surveys uh, and then hire yourself an IO psychologist. Um, speaking of IO psychology, boy, things at CPOC are starting to get busy and exciting as we head towards August and the online convention. Um, so what's up, Dr. Destiny? Yeah, so for all of those who are listening who don't know, CBOC officially declared August is IO Psychology Awareness Month. So August is IO Psychology Awareness Month. What does that mean to all of you? It means that you will be sharing post information, uh, you know, anything you can about why you should hire an IO psychologist in your organization. Um, and it all stemmed from last year, I started a series of posts. And many of them became viral. And so I worked with Jeremy and he was like, let's make this official. And so we did. We established that as um, August. And so I'm really excited about it. It's really great for our field because what do we all get challenged with? The misbranding and misunderstanding of what we do. And so use August. If, if many of you are afraid or are unsure about how to go online and have a social presence, use August as that opportunity to start just stepping out and sharing and talking about it and, and really just under, helping others understand what it is that our field can do. I even talked to somebody yesterday who was trying to get a, their PhD in IO, and it was so interesting. They even had so many misconceptions about the field because of what certain programs were focusing on uh, as far as research. And I said, no, it's so much broader than all of those things. So even people who are prospective, you know, 
students are having challenges trying to understand. So let's use August as that month. And with that, the lead-in is the the three-day events, which will be from August 10th to 12th. It's virtual. It's free. You can be IO. You can be applied. You can be anybody. You can be an HR. You can be a anybody. Please come. Um, there's a lot to learn. It's not specifically just for IO, but it's going to be targeted towards the IO community in many ways. But there's lots to learn. And we even have an opportunity for you to walk away with a micro-credential that you can showcase as a skill in your um, on your platform and on your LinkedIn. So lots to do there. And the the next couple of weeks of conversations will be pretty heavy IOE, uh, I would say. <laughs> um, I think next week we're talking about developing and implementing competency frameworks. And then we're going to talk about implementing workforce analytics and data-driven decision-making. And so I wanted it to be very IOE before we go into the IO Awareness Month. And then after that, we're going to start really talking about forward, forward type of workforce course trends and things like that. So we're going to talk about more like bringing AI and just kind of forward thinking. So really excited about everything that's happening. Sounds great. And of course, we're here every Thursday for these um, live recordings. Uh, you're more than welcome to join us. Um, we've got a great audience today, the more the merrier. And of course, you can always you know, raise your hand and share your voice with us. Uh, the momentum sessions are continuing once again. Uh, you might want to check up on the CBOC website for the next one of those. We've got Lee doing the pop-up, which I hear is just growing and growing and growing. But if you know Lee, you know why. Uh, and Dr. Martha, let's hear about your podcast again. Sure. So I have a podcast. The name is uh, Workplace Psychology with Dr. Martha Grydek. And you can find it on all of the major platforms like Amazon, Apple, iHeartRadio. And it's also available on my YouTube channel, which is Stress-Free with Dr. G. Which is very, very cool. I've checked it out um, and appreciate that. And, you know, invite all your acting friends too, because I learned so much about people that I can now take into my work on stage uh, in front of the camera uh, just by talking to all these really interesting and smart people. Uh, and with that, we have reached our limit. Our hour is up. Uh, once again, this flew by like in five minutes, uh, and <laughs> it's probably the most enjoyable time of the week for me. And now I've got to go back to work. Uh, so Dr. Destiny, uh, thank you very much. Uh, once again, great episode. Lovely to see you back here again. And uh, if you'd like, why don't you count us out? Of course. And I just, in the chat real quick, somebody said that they're going to be using the term IOE moving forward. I have been, uh, I have convinced a number of people to use that term. So <laughs> taking over the world <laughs> one IO at a time. Uh, so I'm excited about that. All right. And with that, three, two, one. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com.